time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Monday, July 27th, 2020. Happy Monday to everybody out there. Hope your weekends were fantastic. Mine absolutely was. Definitely a change of uh, scenery. That, that's all I'll say. Uh, it was fun to uh, just kind of not do a whole lot. And I know that sounds like it's something we've been doing or I've been doing a lot of, but it was nice to get away from the computer, get away from uh, the technology side of things, get away from the uh, podcast per se, and just kind of relax a little bit. Uh, spent some time with some family. It was a really good time. Had a wonderful weekend. Hope yours was well. But, uh, you know, it's Monday morning, and here on the Get Home Safe podcast, we got some great guests ahead for the week. Really looking forward to you guys hearing all of them. I know I say that every week, but I really do mean it. I mean, it's a blast catching up with so many different people. We have a wide variety of guests here on the program today, or this week, I should say, excuse me. But on the program today, we will be joined by Chris Tipton. Chris Tipton was a minor league baseball umpire. He is a former partner of mine in the year 2011. We spent the year in the Midwest League together. Worked uh, about 140 games in about uh, 150 days, give or take, here or there, whatever it was, five months. And it was the coldest I've ever been in my life, being in the Midwest in April and May. Warmed up in the summer, but uh, Chris is originally from Michigan, and he lives in Boston now, so he's used to that cold weather. He has some family out here in California, but uh, you know he's, he's an East Coast guy now, living in Boston. He's the owner of LaCroix. Uh, Inc., which is a sales and marketing firm. And if you know Chris Tipton, for those that do, I mean, just a, just a real fiery guy, a guy with some energy, I think, and a guy that I think anyone who has never met him can definitely appreciate uh, hearing his interview. And for those uh, minor league baseball umpires or uh, uh, minor league baseball alumni umpires, we should say, for those guys listening out there, I think you'll definitely appreciate everything Chris has to say about his experiences in professional baseball, what it's like umpiring college baseball now. And, and of course, he is just uh, working his tail off on the East Coast out in Boston as the owner of LaCroix Incorporated. So sales and marketing firm, we'll talk about all of that uh, here shortly. Uh, first today, I want to start off by saying today is July 27th, and I would I, I have to say a few words uh, about my late mother. Uh, today, July 27th, is the day that she passed away back in, in 2008. And it's really hard to believe she's been gone 12 years. It's just unbelievable. But uh, every time this year, I, I definitely reflect on um, you know my mother and just it brings up so many different emotions. That's all I can say. But uh, for those who who don't who don't know this, my mother passing away suddenly at 53 years old was something that really catapulted me into uh, specifically minor league baseball. I dove in uh, after that. I said, "Well, you know what? Life is short. You got to take some chances." And so it really motivated me to go. I had talked to my mother a lot my senior year of college in 2008. 
trying to be like, I'm not sure what I should do after graduating. And uh, I was fortunate that where she lived, uh, excuse me, worked uh, close to where I was going to college at Cal State Fullerton. So we would meet up for lunch a couple times a week. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was a blessing that I got to share those uh, moments and opportunities to spend time with her just because uh, you know, they were, they were the, uh, the final days really uh, of her life in the April and May. And those were times I spent a lot of time with her and she was the one who told me, you know what, you should go do this umpiring thing you talked about. And I was very skeptical. I said, no, nah, I don't think I should go. Um, but anyway, you graduate college. And then, uh, about a month or so after I graduate college, uh, she passed away in July and, um, you know, very unfortunate, but it, it definitely made me grow up in a hurry, grow up more than I already had. And, it showed me that life really uh, can present some challenges for you and obstacles at the oddest of times. And we're all going through some really odd times now in the year 2020. I think everyone kind of <laughs> wishes they could have it, uh, have it back or have a do over or, or whatever. But uh, you know, my mom was a special person. She was someone who really motivated me. It hasn't been easy not having her in my life the past 12 years, but I just definitely wanted to to say a few words about her today. July 27th, she's been gone 12 years. I still can't believe it. I owe so much to her, so much of um, the, the motivation to achieve a lot of the things uh, I've I've done. I never thought I'd be a minor league baseball umpire. I never thought I'd umpire college baseball. I never thought I'd do a lot of these things that I've had the opportunity and been blessed to do. And I can honestly say it's a tribute to her motivation uh, of me, uh, it, even if it was only those final few months. She, she motivated me and really uh, made me a better person my entire life. But I will always cherish those final kind of months in 2008 when you didn't know it was the end. You didn't know it was the end of the book, really. But all of a sudden, you turn the page and uh, there's no more words on it. So that happened rather quickly. So I uh, just wanted to say a few kind words about my mother here on July 27th. And, uh, you know, for those who knew her, I, I think you understand that uh, it's definitely was a tough, uh, tough void, we'll say, here these past few years. And uh, she made everyone's life a little bit happier, a little bit, uh, a little bit more uh, I don't know how to say it, uh, just better. So anyway, miss you, mom, miss you every single day. I miss you a little bit more on July 27th. Well, guys, uh, as I mentioned, Chris Tipton is our guest today, but there's a few other things I want to talk about. You know, I, baseball started this week or this last week, we should say Thursday, everybody opened pretty much on Friday. And there's a lot of things going on with this whole kneeling and, uh, you know, BLM. I saw one article that I, which I really found kind of humorous. Uh, Jason Whitlock, who I just love on Outkick, the coverage, uh, Clay Travis, all those guys. And Jason Whitlock, one of the first things he said in his article was, you can't spell MLB without BLM. And I thought that was kind of, you know, a little humorous. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there's a lot to be said about what's going on, you know, with not just Major League Baseball, but all professional sports. And I've said that on the past couple of shows. Uh, I don't want to get into too much of it right now. Everything kind of did go how I expected it to with uh, the teams and all around baseball. I, I wanted to wait to speak on it until I saw kind of how everybody dealt with things. Uh, but anyway, I, I think we're going to see more of it going forward. I don't know if this is just something they're going to do maybe during the opening week or not. But, uh, you know, I think everybody's watching right now. Everybody's watching. Uh, the ratings for now are up. Everyone's starving for baseball. They want to see uh, sports in general coming back. And we're going to have a, a surplus of it here in August. But 
I, I, as I mentioned, I think, you know, the pro sports, they got to be careful. Uh, they, they could really uh, drive away some fans. And that's all I'll say about it today. I have more comments and thoughts on it uh, later on, and I'm sure I'll get into it later in the week, probably with our weekly guest, Bill Barnes, on Wednesday for sure. But I don't want to take away too much from uh, our, our interview with Chris Tipton. So I will kind of put that aside for now, let's say. Um, one thing that I did, I always have done, and, and it got me a little fired up uh, talking with Chris Tipton last week when we recorded this, that baseball was starting back up. And then as baseball was going on Thursday, Friday, and over the weekend, you know, one thing I have always done is I've always watched ejection videos, uh, not in just Major League Baseball, but but usually that's where the most film is and where the most ejections occur because there's the most games. So as an umpire, you watch those not only for training, but also just to kind of, I don't know, entertainment at times. And it brought up a... a a thought of mine that in, in most ejections, for those that don't know, for those non-umpires out there, a lot of times guys say the same thing over and over. And who I mean by that is generally uh, media, the media members, broadcasters, um, coaches, players. They all say they have like the same responses to a lot of things that happen. And so I wanted to kind of fill you guys in because when I was umpiring with Chris Tipton in 2011 in the Midwest League, Chris Tipton was really influential to me for basically tell, lighting a fire under me and telling me, hey, you got to amp it up. You got to not be pushed around. This is not how professional baseball works. You know, you can't be Mr. Nice Guy. You got to do your job, be professional, but you cannot get walked all over. And so it took a long time for me to get a little fiery. And working with Chris, it was definitely beneficial. <laughs> so I had a lot of ejections that year and they weren't all over bad calls either. It was sometimes, it's just how baseball is. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about ejections, just a couple minutes here. Um, you know, what players say after ejections, it's really funny. It's usually like, Oh, I didn't say anything. Or my favorite is the ones uh, you watch a lot of these videos and the, the guy will be screaming in the dugout. He's yelling from the dugout out to the umpires. And what what do what does the news say? The the broadcasters say. What do coaches say? Hey, hey! When when an umpire addresses it, it's like, hey, you shouldn't be looking over here. Well, you shouldn't be yelling over there. And, and to the broadcasters who always say, oh, well, how can you have rabbit ears and listen to that? The player is literally saying something so that it is heard by you. So, broadcasters. Just stop it. We haven't had any ejection. Well, let's see. I, I don't know. I haven't looked the numbers over the weekend, but the baseball season is just starting out. But some things will never change. It'll be the same song and dance. Oh, that umpire had a quick hook. How could he? How could he eject that guy? And keep in mind, these are <laughs> these are announcers saying these things who have no idea what was said. Don't you think, play-by-play guys, that if it was a quick ejection, don't you think it was for a reason? The guy probably said, F you. You think the guy just said, hey, that, that pitch is outside, and the umpire just ran, ejected him? No. And then conversely, if there is a discussion, if there is some arguing going on, umpire says, okay, I've heard you. You got to stop. You got to stop. You got to stop. And the, you've been warned multiple times, and maybe it is just a, a non-cussing uh, phrase or whatever, and the guy says something more. And there's an ejection for that. It's like, 
Well, all he said was this. Yeah, but you don't know what the buildup is. So I'm venting a little today. I'm a little fired up. Chris Tipton does that about me. I told you guys about that. Uh, I've watched a little bit of baseball over the weekend. And uh, last Thursday and Friday, it's very odd without fans. Umpires are going to hear a lot more things. Players and coaches and managers need to watch themselves accordingly. But uh, that's just some insight there. I mean, you it's funny watching these ejection uh, videos, the ejection highlights, and the radio guys say the same thing. Oh, my goodness, that was a quick ejection, even though a conversation may have been going on for three innings or four pitches the entire at-bat. Uh, I've seen uh, – how could he eject him that quick? That's like well, he turned to him and said something that, yeah, nobody heard, but you still don't let players address you a certain way. So – I've been out of professional baseball a while now, but it boggles my mind sometimes when I watch Major League Baseball and and those Major League Baseball umpires. Uh, man, I love them. I love uh, that they are the arbiters of the game. They've officiating uh, has changed over the years quite a bit, a lot in other sports. Uh, but Major League Baseball umpires, you can call them whatever you want. All you uh, non non officials out there, you call them all they got a chip on their shoulder they they got they just they want to eject everyone they just they always want to take control and they well my challenge to you is until you know what that experience is like you can't really comment on it you can't comment on what they are doing how guys control a game because i think basketball is the hardest sport to officiate and yeah you got to manage egos and players there too but i think baseball because there is no technical foul managing people and at times having to be more aggressive, uh, confrontational when necessary. You know, I think in baseball, it, it comes up a lot more. So that's just my thoughts. Uh, it's, it's amazing how some announcers have absolutely no idea when an ejection happens. That is hilarious to me. I watch games now and a guy will disagree with the pitch and uh, you could see they don't, they don't, announcers don't pick up on it. And it seems like an okay conversation. And then the inning ends, the guy goes to the dugout, says something, whatever the case is. And it's just interesting that I don't know how many times I've seen it. I've worked in press boxes at the college level, the professional level. I, I've obviously watched games on television. And it's amazing to me how many times announcers are just like, oh, wait, what happened? You're like, you didn't see that coming? <laughs> anyway, those are my two cents uh, as far as baseball ejections. Start of the baseball season. You guys have heard me ramble quite enough this morning, but I did want to touch on that. Again, the, these thoughts that come into my mind, I try to write them down as soon as I can just so that uh, I have that to kind of go off of later. And I was watching these videos the other day and I said, you know what? I'm going to talk about this on the podcast. We got my buddy, Chris Tipton coming on who, uh, I'm not going to say he taught me how to eject people, but, but, uh, he told me, dude, you got to stand up for yourself. You have, you got to defend yourself, uh, defend what is right. You know, all those things. And so I, owe, I owe him a great deal of gratitude for that. We're going to talk about that in his interview. We'll talk about a lot of different things. It's an absolute pleasure catching up with Chris. I look forward to you guys hearing this. So we will take a quick break and then, we'll be, then we will be back with the one and only Chris Tipton. Okay, today we are joined by one of my very good friends. I have not got to see him or talk to him in quite a long time, 
but uh, it's going to be great catching up with him today. He's a former minor league baseball umpire, former partner of mine. 2011 was one of my favorite years in all of baseball in the Midwest League. Uh, we were not, uh, we'll say this, we didn't get along great at first, but I think as the season went on, we became very good friends. Uh, Chris Tipton, he is also the owner of LaCroix uh, Inc., which is a sales and marketing firm in Boston. I will let you or let him talk about that, but uh, let's uh, welcome him from Boston, Massachusetts today. Chris Tipton. Hello, my friend. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Oh, I, I look at I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule. I'm just this unemployed podcaster during this pandemic we're in. You're a very busy man. You kidding me? You're killing it. I see you're adding episodes almost every day now. Uh, what episode are we on? Uh, about 90 now. 90th episode. 90. Wow. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Stepping up the game. <laughs> Well, let's see, five days a week and then uh, carry the one and all these four months. Anyway, it, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. I never thought I'd do anything like this, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, have you had a, I know you're a busy guy. Have you had a chance to listen to any of these, the one with Gonzo or anything? Absolutely. I definitely picked up on, uh, on Gonzo's podcast. I wish, uh, I wish I had that silky smooth voice that Gonzo has. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately I wasn't blessed with that, but, uh, you know, I, I also got to listen to the podcast with, uh, Aaron Reynolds, uh, two of my favorite people. And I uh, love those guys. You know, what's interesting, Chris, is that with baseball, minor league baseball umpires specifically, it's just a special bond and, and everyone who has their, their jobs or their different, uh, experiences in life, they'll probably say the same thing, but I truly believe that being a minor league baseball umpire and even though you could be from a different part of the country, you could have a completely different background. It's like there is this special bond with anyone who really has umpired minor league baseball because it's such a unique experience. And one of the, one of the, it was one of the biggest challenges of my life. And I couldn't have done it without, uh, you know, some of the partners and friends that I made over the years. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, it, it really is in all sense of, of the word, you know, a fraternity. Um, and you know, it's a fraternity of, you know, brothers and now sisters. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a special bond that, you know, when you go, when you go through the, you know, the same experiences, uh, you know, as another individual, um, it's always nice, uh, to be able to, you know, find comfort in that, in that other individual that, you know, can share that commonality with you. Very much so. And, and today, Chris, you're in, uh, Boston, Massachusetts. You are a, the owner of LaCroix. Uh, Inc. sales and marketing firm. We'll talk about the story and everything of how it all kind of you, you ended up there. But what can you tell me first off about uh, the business and kind of your your day to day life here uh, working with this firm? <clears throat> yeah, um, pretty interesting. Uh, had a very interesting year uh, within the last year. Uh, I mean, within the last 365 days. I've gotten married. Um, we, uh, about three months after getting married, uh, left my wife for about six months uh, to open up the new office here in Boston. Um, then uh, right prior to us moving across the country, um, you know, this quarantine type situation happened, uh, which slightly affected the business. Um, but uh, here we are moved across the country and then we spent six months apart 
Uh, we go into quarantine for two months, uh, which was really a great experience for us. Um, we were able to, you know, really explore everything that, you know, Boston had to offer, but it was outside of, you know, the bars and the restaurants and all of the things like uh, the nightlife that Boston has to offer, but really explore the, uh, you know, nature and, you know, going on a lot of hikes and just seeing what, what really the, the area had to offer. Um, so that was an interesting experience. Um, and, uh, you know, and then we reopened the business, you know, started a brand new business um, uh, right outside of uh, John Connie. Uh, his office here in Orlando uh, was in Orlando, where, which were, uh, you know, where I was from uh, originally, where I met my wife and we had lived for a couple of years. Um, but was presented this opportunity um, with AT&T um, and we were doing, uh, you know, an expansion. Uh, we focus on new client acquisition uh, with AT&T. Um, and now we run a, a very successful um, business with AT&T. Um, we also have, we're partnered with a lot of the large retailers in the, uh, in the area, um, as well as, you know, Apple, Google, and Samsung. Um, so uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a crazy journey for the last uh, 365 days, to say the least. Um, but, you know, it, it's something that, you know, I, I've learned a lot from and uh, we're really excited going into the future, uh, see what it has to hold. Well, you really have done quite a bit there the past year. And, and, you know, the last six months, almost seven months now, this year, 2020, has just been one that I don't think any of us will ever forget. You sound like you, you're, you're very successful. Even if we want to. Yeah, right. <laughs> we could try to. But I, I just think, man, we're gonna, I hope, I hope we look back years from now and be like, man, what a year that was. That was unbelievable. But it sounds like even with all these kind of the lockdown and restrictions and everything, you're still able to to, uh, you said you're quarantined a little bit, but you're still able to get out and work, not have to do as much work from home and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, we, we waited definitely a couple months. Uh, we're, you know, we focus on all our PPE, uh, personal protection equipment. You know, we make sure that uh, we're not gathering in groups, uh, you know, of more really than four. Um, we're making sure that we're wearing the masks. Um, you know, that's really helped prevent, I think, in the state of Massachusetts. I can't really speak for anywhere else, mm -hmm. um, but it seems to have helped. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our office, we do a lot of our interviews via Zoom. Um, so it, it really, uh, we, we've, we've adapted, uh, as in any climate, you know, you kind of adapt and overcome type situation. Um, you know, we've gotten very good at the Zoom conferences. And, you know, I think um, it really has opened uh, the eyes of a lot of people like, hey, we can really do business this way uh, and be successful doing business this way and drastically reduce our overhead. Uh, at the same time, not having to travel as often, um, you know, uh, allowing it uh, uh, easier access for applicants, things of those natures. Um, so it, it really has been a blessing in disguise. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to make, you know, the best of a, of a not so fortunate situation. <laughs> What what are your what is your take on living in Boston? Did you ever think you'd live in a, in a city like Boston? And what has it been like for you these past few months? Um, it's uh, I mean, me being originally from Michigan, um, it wasn't uh, a drastic change as far as climate or uh, road condition. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the the, the climate of uh, individuals that are here are a little bit different. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, it, it really is just knowing your surroundings and uh, adapting to the local culture. Um, I think that's something that, you know, we can all be better at is just adapting to the local culture, uh, respecting, you know, what other people uh, think. 
And, uh, you know, I think the people we found that the people around here are really great individuals, stand up individuals. Um, you know, we love the state of Massachusetts. Um, I mean, it's beautiful. We're now, thankfully, we're here in summer, had a really mild winter, but I mean, it's green, it's beautiful. There's tons of things to do outside, uh, lakes and trails and, you know, mountains and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, the whole transition has been really great. Um, you know, my wife coming from Florida, uh, had never really experienced cold weather and she's yet to experience cold weather. Um, I mean, she experienced it for a couple of days and I, I'll never forget it. Uh, this year on her birthday, um, which was in April, uh, and some people are going to laugh at this depending on where you're at in the country. Um, but on, on April, uh, on April 19th this year, um it, it snowed and we were celebrating her birthday and I remember waking her up and she looked outside and it was covered in about three or four inches of snow and she had never seen that before and I remember seeing the tears in her eyes and I remember thinking that though that would be the last time that she had tears of joy in her eyes about seeing snow <laughs> because from here on out it would just be uh, just a disappointment <laughs> snow looks snow looks cool from afar it looks cool on the mountains Absolutely. to me uh, other than Absolutely. that <laughs> great to visit great to visit great to see on christmas uh christmas eve christmas day mm -hmm. um but uh you know it is what it is so i, I mean I, I love massachusetts i love the area um we've had a lot of great experiences um, we've got a lot of things that we definitely want to check out a lot of cool things that are really, really nearby that uh, oh, yeah. we're excited about seeing I love, I love Boston. Uh, it's hard to say that as kind of a Southern California guy, but uh, you know, the sports teams are kind of rivals and everything. But uh, as far as Boston itself, there's so much history there. Uh, the, the freedom trail, that's, that's something that's just incredible experience to, uh, to do a lot of different things. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad things are going well for you there in that, uh, in that city over there. Uh, well, well, Chris, you mentioned it uh, not too long ago that you're from Michigan originally. You grew up in Michigan uh, and kind of what was it like uh, growing up in uh, the state of Michigan? You have a big uh, part of your life, a good chunk of your life that was from that that uh, wonderful state. Yeah, growing up in Michigan was fantastic. Um, I mean, Michigan itself is a beautiful state. Um, you know, we do get our winners. Um, but if you like, in, you know, if you like doing outdoor activities uh, in the winter, you know, snowmobiling and skiing and all those things, it's a great place. Summer's fantastic. It's beautiful. Um, you know, Mackinac Island, uh, the sand dunes, everything like that. So growing up in Michigan was fantastic, um, you know, and, uh, you know, playing sports, played hockey, uh, being close to Canada, uh, being in the north. My dad played hockey, um, got me playing hockey, uh, played baseball, um, you know, growing up. Um, so I, we didn't get to play baseball year round like you guys do in California or like they do in Florida. Um, so, uh, we definitely spaced our time out a lot, but I uh, loved growing up in the state of Michigan, uh, great culture, great people still have a lot of family there. Um, just, uh, proud to be uh, from Michigan and, uh, love, uh, love that state. <laughs> now, now you talk about playing sports as a kid, especially hockey. Like that's something, uh, us out here. Yeah. We'll play in the, in the you know, on the asphalt with rollerblades or something, but I mean, you guys kind of have more of the weather for it and everything, but you, would you say you kind of grew up a sports fan and kind of really always wanted to be around sports as a kid? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, my, uh, you know, growing up, um, I remember, you know, just standard, you know, family, uh, you know, dad throwing you the baseball in the backyard and, uh, I remember just those those funny stories that you know we heard growing up uh, where we'd be 
we'd be playing, having a little batting practice at the age of, you know, five or six years old out in front of my grandma's house and breaking windows and, you know, doing all that fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> hockey came a little bit later on. Baseball definitely was up front, um, a passion, you know, of mine and, you know, my family's. Uh, my mom was really big into sports as well. Um, you know, played basketball, played softball. I mean, even, you know, as I was growing up, I always played on the rec leagues and stuff like that. So that was definitely something that was instilled. Uh, father, uh, my dad, Doug, was, you know, always, you know, he was involved in sports, played, you know, hockey after, after high school, um, eventually began officiating, which, you know, we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, definitely came from a sports family. Sister played sports, ran track, awesome athlete. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just, uh, it was just one of those things. I uh, didn't start playing hockey till a little bit later on. Uh, I remember, uh, I remember driving by uh, a hockey rink all the time and I knew that my dad had played hockey. And I, I remember looking at his photos and seeing his Jersey and he used to still had his old, he still had his old, um, it was, um, some old goalie pads. Uh, and they were filled, they were the old ones filled with deer fur and they, they weighed about 150 pounds a piece. Um, and I, I just always, you know, I always looked up to my dad. So I always wanted to, uh, you know, follow in his footsteps. He was a goalie. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I want to do that. Little did I realize at that age how incredibly expensive it is for youth uh, to play, to play <laughs> sports in general, but to play hockey with the ice time and everything like that. Uh, a little bit expensive at the time. And I remember going home that day, finding out that, uh, hey, hockey's kind of expensive to play. So I went in and I grabbed all my toys. It was the middle, it was towards the end of the summer, grabbed all my toys and put out some signs. And uh, I had a toy sale uh, to show my parents that, hey, I could raise the money to, uh, to play hockey. And uh, I, I think, we, think we brought in about $13 that day. I think also a lady really took me on an awesome truck that I had. She negotiated with a 12-year-old, which I think is kind of messed up, but I'm not bitter at all. Um, and, uh, you know, thank God my parents were like, Hey, you know what, if you really want to do this, you know, they let me do it and uh, let me pursue that. And I, you know, I played hockey through, through high school and that was a great experience for me. So Chris, after college, you decided to, at some point, uh, get into or go to umpire school and you mentioned that your dad was kind of, was your dad was in officiating? Is that what you said? Uh, okay. So he, was he kind of the influence that really got you to start officiating? Oh, 100%, 100%. My dad was, uh, you know, a great influence. Um, you know, right after high school, he started officiating hockey was the first sport that he started officiating. But, um, you know, I remember, you know, always growing up, uh, he was always officiating sports. He began with hockey and, you know, baseball and football. Um, I remember growing up, uh, <laughs> he was, uh, you know, he was on a football crew. And you can, you can attest to this, uh, football and that football family. Uh, always getting together every single Friday with the same group of guys. And uh, they, they really were kind of like uh, our little family that time of the year. And uh, I remember being around, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old there. And um, I would uh, go out. It was Friday night. I remember we would meet with the crew. My dad would get off work. He'd come home. He'd pick me up. And I'd have my knickers on. And at that time, we wore knickers. You remember? We remember the white <laughs> pants. We had the knickers, the high socks. Everything. I had the hat. I had everything. And, uh, you know, I'd go out and I was the ball boy. And uh, so, you know, I, I got to ride around with the, with the guys uh, on Friday night. And uh, I think that's something that, you know, always stuck with me. 
And, uh, you know, something that I always enjoyed and I still enjoy to this day is that, you know, that camaraderie and that fraternity that we spoke about earlier. Um, so that was something that I always enjoyed, but yeah, you, you know, he's definitely an influence, got me, got me involved early on, um, you know, showing me, I remember just <laughs> coming home or, you know, our conversations were revolved around rules and, you know, what, what would you do in this type of situation? And, you know, um, you know, so there was always that sports conversation going on in the house. Um, as much as my, I'm sure my mom and my sister love that. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, uh, eventually you, you made the decision to go to umpire school and did you know, kind of off the bat, you know what, I want to go give this a try. I want to pursue minor league baseball. Kind of what was the motivation to, uh, go to school and, you know, dive into this crazy world of professional baseball. Yeah, played, uh, you know, played a little bit of uh, baseball in college. And, uh, you know, after after getting out of school, um, I talked to a buddy of mine um, and he he went to umpire school and uh, he was telling me a little bit about it. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not like a lot of the guys that were savvy. uh, You know, they knew about professional umpire school or anything like that. I didn't know that was an option. Um, I didn't know there was an umpire school. I didn't know anything about that. Everything I learned about officiating uh, was essentially from my dad and, you know, from my dad's friends, um, pretty much, you know, how everybody else does it, unless you're from the South where you realize, or you're from California where you realize, uh, oh man, there's professional umpire schools out there and you can actually make this a profession. Um, that was also probably before a lot of the social media and, you yeah. know, all the amount of information that, you know, we didn't have, you know, 20 years ago. Um, but once I realized that, uh, a buddy of mine told me, hey, you know what, this is what I'm doing right now. I went to umpire school. Now, uh, you know, I went to the Gulf Coast League. Um, and, uh, you know, you should try it out. And, uh, you know, after school, I said, you know what, all right, well, let's try it out. Uh, I worked with, uh, with one of my dad's friends. I remember we were painting apartments. And uh, I was like, my main focus was to save $3,000. I need to save $3,000. So I can go to umpire school. And uh, saved that $3,000 with the help of, of my dad and my parents. And I uh, went down to umpire school. Um, it was funny because I was listening to Chris Gonzalez's, uh, you guys, uh, your cast. And uh, Chris was, it's funny because he was on the other side uh, of what he was talking about in the sense that, you know, he was, you know, just a clean slate. You know, he didn't have those bad habits. Yeah. And uh, I thought I had a good idea of what, you know, was going on at umpire school. I felt pretty confident. You know, a uh, guy was like, oh, just go in there and, you know, do your thing. And I'm like, my thing. And I was like, okay, I'll go out there. Well, I mean, if you don't know me, I'm left-handed. At that time, nobody told me making out calls with your left hand was probably not a good look. Um, so I'm going out there calling people out with my left hand, calling strikes. You know, it, it was pretty funny. Um, so I definitely had some bad habits. I wasn't that clean slate. You can laugh. It's all right. Oh, okay. uh, I wasn't that. I, I wasn't that clean slate, man. I and you know, at, at uh, you know, Chris and I went to uh, to umpire school uh, roughly at the same time, 25, 26 years old. So at that at that time, in most men's 26 year old, 25 year old mentality, you've got this arrogant, yeah, I kind of know what the heck's going on here, uh, attitude. And so, um, thank God, uh, you know, I had some great instructors there. Uh, I had, I met some great friends, um, you know, that were able to help me and move me along. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. Um, and, uh, you know, I just kind of, you know, dove head into it and, uh, you know, I, I had a great experience and, uh, was fortunate 
fortunate enough to uh, to to finish at uh, you know near the top and uh, get selected to uh, to move into minor league baseball. How old were you when you went? I was let's see, if my the first day of school, I was I turned twenty four. So were you a little? Because I know some guys go when I mean, obviously you were after college. Were you kind of the similar age? You know what? I was actually 26 years old, so I had been uh, been out of school for a couple years, and uh, so I was a little bit older. And I had realized that was, that kind of played into you know my decision. Um, you know, I felt that that was probably if I was going to do it, that was going to be the last time that I could do it. Um, you've got to you've got to take into account the the average amount of years that somebody's going to spend in minor league baseball before getting to the big leagues, and that was something that I definitely factored in into the equation and I just thought that that was going to be probably my last year for a realistic bid at the big league yeah I've always said you know to a few people I've talked to that I think it's best to go a little later like we've all you and I have one thing we've always talked about is life experience and how valuable that is and if you go jump into something when you're 21 years old you may not quite have the experience that you would it's only a couple years later like I said 24 25 somewhere in there but I think that that matters and because when you're diving into the umpire school and the umpiring world will say uh, I think you do need a little bit of of experience uh well well Chris you you talked about you 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 were selected you worked hard. You got where you uh, needed to be. You jumped into, you got into to, uh, minor league baseball and you and I started the same year, the same league, even though I was from California, I was working at coastal plan league and we, you know, it came down to Florida. So we were in the Gulf coast league together. And you know what? Uh, we never worked together at that point, but we kind of knew each other and uh you know florida day games interesting times but it was cool working with like four or five guys what was your first experience or your experiences like uh in that first year first year in the gcl um it was definitely uh, a culture shock um <laughs> it was i i was fortunate enough um you know after umpire school um where i i, I knew that i was very soon going to be placed in the GCL. Um, and I had met, uh, I mentioned before, a couple of great guys um, that had been at umpire school the year prior to us. Um, and that had some connections uh, in professional baseball, uh, but at the independent level. Um, and, uh, you know, I was offered the opportunity right before going into, you know, the GCL to get a little bit of experience. And uh, little did I know that Looking back on it, if I had to compare it to anything, it would have been more of a double A experience, um, you know, and uh, going through the system and seeing what the crowds are in the California League and, you know, the Midwest League and stuff like that. It was definitely more of a, a double A experience. Um, so when I got in there, it was definitely a culture shock. I mean, I, I went from, you know, umpire school of really not seeing, there was nobody in the stands other than people that were evaluating you and, uh, some umpires, you know, out in the field, letting balls go between their legs and, you know, you know how it was, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that it was definitely getting in there and I was like, wow, this is really what it's going to be like. Wow. This is going to be awesome. You know, you're walking in and, you know, there's four, 4,000, 5,000 people there. And, you know, it, it's kind of exciting. You're like, wow, this is, this is awesome. This is going to be great. In the indie and ball, spend, right? The independent in indie ball. Yeah. 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 In indie ball. Yeah. I was working <laughs> the American association uh, at that time. I was what was called a, a local. 
Um, even though that I, I was driving from, uh, you know, Sioux City, Sioux Falls, um, all the way down to uh, Wichita uh, and everywhere in between in Nebraska, everything like that, all those cities that fall in there. And, uh, you know, I was living the dream at that time. I'm like, man, I'm traveling around. I'm staying in hotels. I'm getting paid. <laughs> you know, there's 5,000 people in the seats. And then all of a sudden, the GCL starts. Welcome to affiliated baseball. <laughs> Welcome to the real world. Uh, we show up. It's 105 degrees in the middle of summer in the state of Florida. Um, we've got kids that are 17, 18 years old throwing 105 miles an hour everywhere around you except over the plate. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it is a little bit of a culture shock. There's nobody in the stands. There's nobody watching other than, you know, the coaches and the players and the guys running in the outfield trying to get their laps in. So um, we, we, went, uh, we went from what I perceived to the quote-unquote big leagues uh, to really going out in the backyard and playing some sandlot baseball. Um, but it was an awesome experience. I loved every minute of it. Yeah, you know, Chris, I had the opportunity. Well, I don't know if it was an opportunity or I, I kind of was a glutton for punishment. I, I don't know. I, I said, well, let me go back. And after a few years out of professional baseball, I went and worked the American Association in 2017 and 18. So I got to experience that much later, much after after everything was done. But for you to do that first and then go to the GCL is hilarious because yeah I, I totally know what you mean by the whole culture shock I mean we're playing on the backfields there's no one there I mean literally no fans <laughs> every once in a while somebody's parents would show up and you'd be like why are you here uh, but very humid <laughs> all noon games sometimes 10 a.m games on those uh, you know Saturdays or whatever 10 or but, 12 brother oh 12. man no lights, just, just, uh, you know, and, and you were on a pretty good crew. I believe Gonzo was, was with you. Um, but Gonzo was my partner in the GCL. Oh man, that is, uh, having been a partner with both of you. I mean, that's just, that's just a train wreck. I think waiting to happen to Chris's. Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> great guy though. Great guy, man. He kept me, he definitely, uh, he definitely kept me in line. Uh, made sure that we showed up on time every day and uh, took care of me. That's for sure. Well, what's unique about the GCL is that, you know, it's these complex fields. And like I said, 12 o'clock games you're doing, but you're with about five, five guys, four other guys, partners. Uh, and then you, you kind of bounce around to three like satellite locations. And so it's very different from the other minor leagues that you then transition to and, and uh, promote through, because at that point, then it's just you and one other person, you and a partner and you're traveling city to city, like the teams do. Uh, and so, that whole experience obviously was uh, very unique. And at the time we're like, what is this? But looking back, it was also like, man, it was a great opportunity to just be around. Like I said, four or five guys, we're all in our twenties in Florida, having a good time and working some baseball as well. <laughs> Doing every now and then work at some baseball games, but uh, just a blast, right? Hanging out with those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I keep saying it, but, you know, the, uh, the camaraderie, the, the fraternity of the guys, um, you know, just a bunch of great individuals, a lot of people that I still speak with. Um, a buddy of mine, you know, I'm going to be in his wedding, um, you know, here in a couple months. Um, another friend of mine, you know, is the best man in his wedding. Uh, so some, some long, you know, relationships that were built. Mm -hmm. um, just some great individuals, you know, uh, Matt, you and I, we worked what eight years ago together and here we are, we still, <laughs> still keep up with one another and, and uh, make sure that we're informed. So, um, definitely something that, you know, I wouldn't trade for anything and, uh, it's just been a great experience all around. 
Well, I will fast forward a little bit to 2011 when you and I were partners, uh, not to skip any years or anything, but you and I were, were paired up as partners in 2011 in the Midwest League, and it was our first long season. We had spring training in March, and then we had the uh, five-month season of from you know April through uh, September. And I will say that when we were paired up, I want to say that we were probably very unlikely, the unlikeliest pair, I would say. I don't know how else to put it mildly. Uh, we were probably pretty opposite guys. I wasn't sure how you, I mean, I later found out kind of how you, your, your outlook on me was. I just knew, you know, you were a, a fun guy and a, a guy that was uh, pretty intense. But I do know there was probably some uh, skepticism going into that season with somebody like me who you probably just thought was just this uh, dorky kid from California that, uh, you know, you were probably worried about having to work 140 games with. Um, you know, I mean, at the beginning of any season, it doesn't matter, you know, who your partner is, unless you know them, um, you're always going to be, you know, wait, who is this guy? I mean, at, at that time, uh, do we have our own, we have separate rooms, right? Separate rooms, finally, yeah. <laughs> okay, thank God. That was our first year having separate rooms. That was a really step up. Uh, but no, you know, it, it, there's always a bit of, uh, you know, um, wonder about, you know, how's this <laughs> season going to go? And, uh, and to be honest with you, I mean, I didn't really have uh, a whole lot going on to the end of the season. Um, I knew that, uh, that at, at uh, you know, the evaluation, there were certain things that happened that made you stand out. Um, you could say it. Uh, you could you say know. it. You could say what happened. It's totally fine. No, <laughs> no, no, I won't do that, man. No. So you, you were, you, you definitely, I, I, you had a name, and uh, I understood who it was. Um, but uh, you know, I, I really didn't have a have a problem. Uh, you know, with uh, I was just curious, like, hey, man, I knew that you worked hard. I knew that you know you were all about the game. You had great rules knowledge. Um, you know, and that everybody really got along with you and said that, you know, everybody I talked to said you're a stand up guy. And uh, I said, you know what, if, you know, if I'm going to step out and, you know, into the trenches, if you will, uh, with somebody, you know, they said that Matt, Her Matt Hersma is the guy that you want on your team. And so after that, you know, I really walked into the season with, hey, you know what, this is a good guy. Uh, you had a lot of people that, you know, had your back. Um, so it, it was walking in. Yeah, it was a little different. We had to form our own opinions, but you know, I definitely had that, that indication that, you know, this is a good guy and I can trust him. So. Well, I'll say this. It took a few weeks. It took a few weeks. We were, we were different guys, but there is that moment. I think with any partners you work with that you don't really know, there is that moment where you guys kind of, you just click and it's like, okay, things are going to be good. We're, we're, we're good, man. And, but I do want to thank you for something, Chris. I don't know if I've thanked you directly for this, you told me after a game one time, it was early on, we still weren't, I'll say friends yet. <laughs> and you said, you got to be way more aggressive. And I got pushed around a little bit by some coaches or managers or, or player, whatever it was. And I don't know what it, what it was exactly, but you, you lit a fire under me somehow. And you got me to basically not take any crap from anybody. And I learned real quick, like how to step out of my shell and to handle business when it needed to be handled. And that year <laughs> was the most ejections I ever had. I had 20 ejections in 140 games or whatever. And it was a big thanks to you. Not because it was just, oh, eject everyone, but it was like, dude, you got to stand up for yourself. 
And I, you know, I just came in and it was like, well, if you work hard and, you know, be nice to people, everything will work out. But professional baseball is not that way. So you had a huge impact on me as a partner, but also as a guy who really got me to be like, you know what? You don't, don't take things from people. Stand up for yourself. Lay down the law when you need to. And uh, yeah, I, I just want to thank you for that because I work with Chris Gonzalez the next year and a few games in, he was like, who are you? Who, dude, you definitely worked with Chris <laughs> Tipton last year. Oh <laughs> uh, man. And if I, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken that year, uh, your, your highest ejection year, uh, you were, uh, you were selected to the uh, Midwest league all-star crew. Uh, is that is that accurate? <laughs> uh, that is accurate, and one that was again something. It was like June, I think. So we're halfway through the season, roughly, and I was selected. We all got kind of this email to all the umpires in the league, and I remember you being so happy for me. And it wasn't like this fake happy. It was like you were legitimately thrilled that I was selected, and I wasn't sure how you know you would feel or whatever. But it was it was so cool. It's like man, this is this is my crewmate, man. This is my brother. Like he, he really does care. And we may have been having dinner and uh, Chris, as you often, uh, well, we'll say, never mind. <laughs> but what I do remember is that night we were celebrating and you managed to have the waitress create this like hat out of napkins. Absolutely. And you wrote, I, remember, I still have that photo. <laughs> you wrote all I still have it. <laughs> do you really? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Created an all-star hat. We were, we were sitting in Lake County and, yeah. and uh, there was that restaurant there. And uh, yeah, she brought you over the, the all-star hat. And uh, yeah, we were, that was a great night, man. I, I was so happy for you. That was just, that was just an amer- amazing night, amazing year. And uh, yeah, that was just something cool to see. Oh man. I, I joke with Chris Gonzalez. I'm like, man, I don't know which year was better the 11 or 12. Uh, I'm partial to the, uh, to the 2011 because it was away from home. It was uh, in your neck of the woods. You know, we, we went through uh, the Midwest, uh, all the different Midwest cities. I could not believe how cold it was in April in those cities. You were used to it. I was <laughs> such a wuss, dude. I was so cold all the time. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, well, we had a great year. I can honestly say that. Uh, looking back, uh, it was so much fun. Um, I, my minor league career ended shortly after that you were in minor league baseball a little bit longer and, and kind of just tell me your, your overall experience, I guess, in moving forward, uh, kind of, uh, you know, you work with some great guys, you already talked about that, but you know, you were in, I don't know how many more years after that, but, uh, you hung on, hung in there uh, quite a while, right? Yeah. I, uh, I think the next year we were, I was in the, the Florida state league and then I spent, uh, three more years in the Eastern league, double uh, A. And, um, no, I had a great experience. Um, but as in, you know, any professional sport, um, there comes a day where it's mm-hmm. just, Hey, you know what kid, you're not good. enough. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I didn't move on to the next level and you know, that, that you didn't make the team is kind of where that, uh, where the, uh, the conversation went and, you know, you got to push yourself as far as you can go. Um, you know, you gotta, you know, put your best effort in and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I can say, you know, Hey, you know what? I went out there and worked my ass off. And, uh, you know, the, uh, let the chips fall where they may. Um, but, you know, nothing I would ever change. Had some great experiences, uh, parlayed into um, a, uh, uh, a college experience, um, able to work some Division One baseball and have some great experiences uh, in, in that realm as well. 
Um, so, you know, uh, it's just been a great learning experience. I mean, uh, life experience, all of the above though, uh, met some great people and, uh, you know, it's just one of those life experiences that, you know, you wouldn't trade for anything. Oh yeah. Same, same here, man. Could not agree more. Uh, well, well, Chris, after minor league baseball, um, I believe you were living in Florida and you talked about college baseball a little bit. That's something uh, I do out here on the West coast or, or did until things shut down. Uh, you know, what, what is your, I mean, just real quick, what is your perception of college baseball? I don't want to get too much into it, but just what would you say are some of the biggest differences in college baseball versus professional baseball outside the money, of course, because the money is way better in college baseball and you're home a lot more. That's for sure. Um, I mean, the difference between professional baseball and uh, I guess college baseball. Uh, <laughs> as we talked about, you know, in, in that Midwest league, uh, that conversation where I said that, uh, you know, you need to be more aggressive. Uh, if we had that same conversation in a, in a college uh, locker room, I'd say, Matt, you need to be less aggressive. Uh, I guess that's probably the best way to define that. Um, yeah. We're really working, uh, working with more as opposed to, um, you know, going out there and doing our own job and really enforcing what we have to enforce to make sure that people respect us later on. Um, but I think that the older you get um, and the more mature you get, you find different ways to um, show people how and why they need to respect you. Um, and, you know, as an umpire, as anybody that's uh, enforcing law or rule, uh, you got to make sure that you, you know the rules, um, that you're, you know, you're walking out there and leading by example. Um, so um, I, I just think that's one of the biggest differences. Yeah, you could be a little bit more aggressive in professional baseball. Um, but, uh, you know, college baseball, you're, you're dealing with guys that, uh, you know, are making, you know, two, three million dollars a year if you're working division one baseball. Um, you're talking about, you know, uh, head coaches that are making millions of dollars a year. This is their livelihood. Um, and the rules of professional baseball and the rules of NCAA baseball, a lot more for a professional coach or a manager or a player to get ejected. The significance of a college player or coach um, being ejected uh, is a lot higher. Um, yeah. You know, they could really see a, a blowback from, you know, being ejected, even though that they're probably doing the exact same things in professional baseball uh, that would get them ejected. Yeah, really have to, you have to do a little bit more, um, I guess, babysitting uh, and make sure that, you know, the, the guys are understanding uh, because I, I also understand. And as we get older, I think we have a little more compassion. I hope uh, for when we were 22, 21, 18, 19 years old, whatever it is uh, and the things that we would say and the way that we would think. So um, I think there's a level of maturity that comes with, you know, college baseball and the college umpires that are in the game today and their, and their way to uh, deescalate situations. And I commend, you know, all the, the men and women that go out there, you know, on the field and are able to de-escalate, um, you know, situations and, you know, talk players and coaches out of situations uh, where in professional baseball, we probably wouldn't hear that and we'd probably just get rid of them. Um, <laughs> but the, the, it's definitely an art, uh, you know, to working uh, college baseball. Um, and, uh, you know, the men and women that do that are, are, uh, are pretty, pretty impressive individuals. 
Yeah, I think professional baseball, you know, it's just, it's understood on both sides, players, coaches, managers, they understand that uh, the approach is probably different and the game is very different. And it's just like, okay, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a random Wednesday, like in the middle of May, like, okay, whatever. But yeah, college baseball, everything is, I think, it's just a big event almost <laughs> with a lot of things. So, uh, you know, that's good stuff. I, I think that's, uh, that's all very true, uh, very much so. And there are some slight adjustments, but it's also just, you know, a, a baseball, a, a diamond and 90 foot bases and all this and that too. Uh, but it is very different for guys coming out of, I think pro ball <laughs> to get into college ball. Well, well, Chris, after you got out of pro ball, you were living in Florida uh, what, what was going on? What was, uh, what was life like for you? And how did you eventually, you know, tell us kind of your story about transitioning into the business side of things here uh, in, uh, in Boston, where you're at now. I mean, did you see yourself ever kind of doing something like this? I mean, what was kind of your, your outlook and what you were doing uh, after professional baseball? Yeah, after professional baseball, I mean, I loved, uh, I loved, just work in the game. You know, I loved officiating, you know, I officiated college basketball for a little while. Um, I was doing college baseball. I saw how lucrative college baseball could be. Um, and really I started, uh, you know, formulating my life around, you know, um, college baseball. And I knew that that was a bulk of my income at the time. And, you know, I started finding ways to, um, to add on to that income during the season that were, you know, might be part-time or, you know, whatever the situation was. Um, but like I talked about early on where, you know, uh, right before going into minor league baseball at the age of 26, uh, there became the realization that, Hey, you know what, we're running out of time here. We need to figure out a plan for the future. Um, and, you know, I, I was going to get married. I was getting married. Um, and, you know, I want something better for, you know, myself and my wife. And I, I loved working baseball. And that's what I really surrounded my life with was, hey, you know what, do what you love. You know, you, you read those books and, you know, you see those posts on Instagram or whatever. It's like, do what you love. And, and unfortunately, doing what I loved wasn't really um, allowing me to get ahead. And uh, so I, I really had to, to make uh, the, and to, hey, you know what, do something that you like and be profitable. <laughs> so um it, it's not something that you know i i don't I hate going to work or anything like that i've met some amazing people um, i was given a great opportunity by a friend of mine uh that showed me you know the, the the business side of it uh his name is john he's from orlando uh he's got he runs a great company uh in amart um and they've got some really large contracts with some uh really large companies and uh you know he showed me the business side of everything and, uh, you know, it really just shot off from there. I was offered the opportunity in Boston. Uh, we didn't have an office in Boston. Um, AT&T was really looking to um, spread out in the state of Massachusetts and in the Boston area and the Boston market um, with, you know, the 5G launch. And this is going to sound hilarious in 10 years when wh whoever listens to this or in five years with technology, they're like, oh, 5G, ha ha. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, that, that was what's uh, the relevant situation going on right now and um you know so we took the opportunity you know i moved away from my wife for like i said six months and uh we we opened up the office and it really flourished um uh we have you know 16 people uh that are working for the company right now uh, we've got you know five people that are in their management training program uh we're expanding into several different locations across the country um so it's just been really exciting and it's been a great journey 
um, for my wife and I, even though it's been uh, been a little strange at times. Uh, but uh, we've, we've had a great time and, uh, you know, we're really excited about the future. It's great stuff. And I know exactly what you mean by doing something you love, but unfortunately at some point you got to look forward. I think there's a lot of guys who go through that and yeah, uh, time father time is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate, uh, guider of our path really. Cause yeah, you'd be like, Oh yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, I'm still officiating full time or was, and it's like, okay, it's time to dive into something new. So that's kind of where I'm at as well. Uh, it's, it's time to find something and maybe move away from sports. If, if it's sports is still there, then okay, well, I'll, I'll do what I can part-time with it. But uh, yeah, man, you're preaching to the choir. It's, a, it's, a, it's motivating to hear because uh, I, I know those same feelings. And so it's really cool to see, Chris, where the transition has gone and kind of everything you've grown. I mean, I remember you and your what you were dating back in 2011 when we were in, in partners together. And now to see you guys married, that's like, wow, this is awesome. And then your, your business side of things, just incredible stuff. I can't believe, first of all, that it's been nine years since we worked together. And uh, here we are, man. So thank you for, for sharing uh, this story and kind of how things have gone for you. That's awesome stuff. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate everything. And, uh, you know, Peter Pan hasn't fully grown up yet. Uh, you know, I'm still doing, I'm still, I'm still doing college baseball. I still love, I still love the fraternity of, of the guys and the gals that I work with. Um, you know, fortunate enough to work in, you know, some division one conferences and, uh, you know, still go out there and just chase the dream and that, and it's, just a little bit smaller of a dream now it's more of a passion and just yeah. something fun that I can do and just hang out with the with the people that I really like to do it with so I'm uh, definitely fortunate and hopefully one day I gotta I gotta work into one of your conferences so we can work some games together man oh hey you tell me where and whether it's uh yeah we'll I'll, I'll come out wherever we'll work a We'll work anything. I don't care. One last dance. So that'd be a lot of fun, brother. That would be so much fun. I, I there'll probably be some ejections, I think, at some point, but who knows? Uh, one up each nah, other. <laughs> nah, you're too good for that, man. You're too good for that. You're too good for that. Uh, I appreciate I'm telling you, bro, working with Gonzalez the next year, he was like in shock. He was like, who are you? What did Chris Tipton do to you? Because the start of the next year was very similar to how our 2011 year wit. I go, what man? What? So he had, to, he had, see, that was a perfect, I mean, he just leveled you out a lot. I mean, that was okay. perfect. I mean, you had the, the high intensity and then you had the gonzo. <laughs> like I said at the very beginning, he's got that, that sweet voice, that flow where like, it doesn't matter what gonzo says. You're just like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> Must be all the R&B he listens to. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, man, I, Chris turned me on to, uh, to John Legend. And uh, the funny thing is uh, that was, uh, and, and Chris told me a while ago, and Chris probably doesn't know this, uh, but uh, John Legend was, uh, we had him as our, our wedding song uh, last year. Uh, and I, I stole this song. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. I won't say it, but yeah, I, I stole this song and uh, I appreciate that. I think John Legend's first time I heard him was you. You were you were blasting into the locker room because because yeah, it was like two years after Gonzo and I hung out. That's that's hilarious. That's I tell you what. <laughs> oh what man, that is, I, I man, I could talk for hours, dude. I really could. It's it's fun to catch, especially in person. This whole Zoom thing is is awesome because we can 
uh, see each other. And again, I'm new to all this stuff. I'm still learning every day. And so, uh, but anyway, Chris, anything else you want to talk about as we kind of wrap up here, anything else on your mind uh, you'd like to ask me or any comments you have floor is yours. No, man. So, uh, I mean, if you want to, I mean, I'd love to know. I mean, we haven't talked in a little bit of time, but uh, I mean, what's the football situation? Are we doing football or are we doing, uh, you know, what's the college baseball situation? Well, college baseball is kind of the, the main thing now. It all changed, obviously. Uh, I was, I was, you know, it, college baseball is funny. Like I was kind of not dreading the season, but not all that fired up. But then as soon as a pitch is thrown, you get on the field and you start working and the money starts coming in. You're like, Oh yeah, I do like this football. I slowly <laughs> kind of transitioned out of, I was working, uh, you know, college got to division NCAA division three. I worked two times. I worked a, a division one double a game down in San Diego and so that was a blast for me working community college of course is a whole nother challenge I kind of got out of college football first in order to go to the American Association like I said in 17 and 18 I had to kind of be free in the summer to go do that so that's kind of what got me to get out of college football and then a year later I kind of stopped doing high school football and I was just like you know what I need a break I need a break from it all wasn't thrilled in the direction that uh, we'll say high school sports uh, is going. I think you can, you can relate to that, but, but I, I love talking. That was fun is working with you is, is being able to talk high school football officiating with you, high school basketball officiating with you. Uh, even though we're working minor league baseball games, like you always said, you were a guy, uh, you didn't take much from the sideline. You flag guys right away. <laughs> when you were working back in the day, because football players take a lot. Or football officials, I should say, take a lot. Football of officials do take a lot, and I, I don't know how they do it. And I, I commend their uh, their thick skin, uh, but that's definitely something that we're not taught in baseball. Um, so that's just, I mean, that's just a, a different uh, mindset that you know they have in sport to sport, and what you're what you're learning uh, or what you've learned <laughs> uh, is acceptable, <laughs> and what's not acceptable, I guess, at the end of the day, is what it boils down to. Well, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, like I mentioned to you, I loved working football. I was passionate. We'll say this kind of with college, kind of with everything, like with football and basketball, for sure. It's been like a break. We'll call it a break for now with that, like maybe some hope that I get back into it. We'll see. But man, with this virus, uh, pandemic, all this stuff going on too, Chris, it, it's such a, there's so much uncertainty really with, with the sports now. I mean, so we don't know if we're going to be, uh, if we're going to have a season next year, whether it be football or baseball. So I don't know. I kind of don't want to hang my hat on that stuff, just knowing that it might not even happen. So that's kind of where I'm at these days with officiating. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear that, you know, there's, and it's funny because, you know, for the first time ever, there's been like a stoppage in like NCAA sports, you know, yeah. even in, um, you know, times of war or, you know, uh, any, you know, any hardships, you know, we've always had, you know, collegiate sports. Um, so for, I think for the, one of the first times we've had that stoppage in that, and it is a little bit odd, but I think eventually um, things are, we'll get back on track. I mean, they'll, the day that, you know, they, they find the, the cure for the virus or, you know, whatever the situation is, um, you know, it will change a lot of mindsets and how we're, how we're dealing with everything right now. Um, I just think that, you know, anytime one of these, um, 
you know, situations happens um, that, uh, you know, there's just a time of adjustment and, you know, for human beings, I guess, um, it, it's a little bit hard for us to put that time frame into perspective because, you know, we're so busy every single day. Um, but in the, in the relative time frame of, of the world and life in general, uh, us finding a cure for this probably is going to be uh, relatively short. Um, so, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, once that happens, I think most things will go back. Everybody talks about, you know, a new reality. Uh, and I think certain things will change, but I think, uh, you know, certain things are going to change for the better as well. Um, so, um, you know, I think it's also good that, uh, you know, in any time, you know, where there's turmoil or a struggle, um, it really brings people together. Um, so hopefully this is one of those situations in life that, uh, you know, something or a hardship uh, brings uh, people together as a community. Yes, I agree with that. I mean, it's been weird being kind of away from everyone, not seeing people that much, not going out for a drink, not meeting people uh, for, for dinner or whatever, just, just hanging out, going to a sporting event or a concert with friends and family or whatever. Like it's been very odd, but we'll get through it. It's just an adjustment period. And I'm hopeful that things will improve in the very near future and we can get back to it. I, I do know this, as soon as things, you know, settle down and maybe it's a little less risky, we'll say, to travel. Uh, I definitely have a reason to come to Boston now uh, and uh, maybe see, see an old friend and uh, hang out a little bit. I think that would be a, a great time to uh, come out and see you. And I know you're out in California every so often, right, still, or maybe not as much anymore? Yeah, still have, uh, still have family in, uh, in California that I come out to visit, you know, at least once a year, um, have a sister, have my mom and, uh, you know, some great, uh, some great nephews. Uh, so definitely make it out there. I know we spent a little bit of time out there, uh, that one new year's Eve. Uh, that was a great time too. <laughs> that was, that was a great time. My brother still talks about that sometimes and, uh, uh, just a great time. Yeah. I'm actually where I'm living now. I'm not too far from, uh, too far from your uh, where your family was at uh maybe the same distance as before but either way like i said it's a very short car ride to uh to that area and it would be great man to see you whether you come out here or uh you know we, we plan a trip to the east coast i think that is definitely on the horizon for us now that i know chris tipton is out uh, doing great things in boston heck yeah buddy we'll uh, go pack the car in the yard <laughs> Oh, man, if your voice ever changes to that Boston accent, it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's the day I'll move. No, I'm just kidding, man. I love these people here. <laughs> well, Chris, I know you're so busy, man. I, dude, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, it was a blast. We'll get this episode out uh, pretty soon. And it was just, I can't say it enough, man. It's so great catching up. Uh, let's do this again soon. It doesn't have to be a podcast, just maybe a, a Zoom uh, a Zoom meeting or a Zoom happy hour or a Zoom, I don't know, just a phone conversation. I love that, man. Yeah, whatever. Let's do a little Zoom, uh, little Zoom uh, MILB happy hour. Oh, uh, we'll avoid all the boys on and uh, I mean, we can split it up. I mean, it'd be a great time. Oh man, I got nothing else going. So I, 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 if I got to be the organizer, <laughs> if I got to be the organizer to do that, I will get you and Gonzo and some of the other guys we talked about, uh, get them on here. It's like, Hey boys, come on. You got, come on. You guys got 30 minutes. Although that 30 minutes would turn into three hours. I'm sure. 
I love it though. We'll figure it out. No doubt. <laughs> well, stay tuned, Chris. Thanks again, man. It was a blast catching up and uh, thanks for uh, your time and uh, my best to Olivia, to the, to your family, to uh, all your success out there in, uh, in Boston, man, you're doing great things and I couldn't be more happy for you. Thanks brother. I appreciate it. It's great talking to you. Take care. Thanks again, Chris Tipton, for joining us and getting our week of shows off to a good start here on Monday morning. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. My best of luck to you and uh, your wife and all your business uh, down the road. I hope to talk to you again very soon. It has been far, far too long. Thanks again, Chris. Well, guys, on Tuesday, we will be joined by Tom Bragger. Tom is a very big sports fan. He has a lot of strong opinions about a lot of different sports, we'll say, professional and college. Uh, he's a guy who I can always see his opinions kind of on social media regarding the world of sports. And as sports starts to open up here in 2020, finally, uh, I think that Tom is a great guy to, to come on the program and talk about uh, the his various opinions uh, revolving around sports. He lives in Arkansas these days, but he went to high school at Rio Hondo Prep, of course, in Arcadia, California. Before moving out to Arkansas, he's a big New York sports fan because his father is from New York. So he's always uh, kind of seen in his Yankee hat. He's a big New York Giants uh, football fan. He loves Syracuse. Uh, but he's also going to talk to us about living in Arkansas, what that's like in college, kind of a, a college sports state, if you will, without there being professional sports. And, and maybe talk a little bit about his opinions of L.A. sports fans, we'll say. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. it. It's great with sports happening that we can really talk more sports. So Tom will be on the program tomorrow. Be sure to tune in and join us. Well, guys, as always, there's many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have a Twitter handle that is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you, whether it be through social media or a nice email. However, you want to touch base with us, we would love to hear from you. There's also an option on the Anchor app or the Anchor website. You can go to anchor.fm or through the app. Go to our podcast, Get Home Safe. Look for the green message button. Click on that. You can leave us a voice message. We can play that voice message on our interview, or excuse me, on our on our podcast episodes, and then I can answer or give a rebuttal, give a response to your question or maybe your suggested content. Whatever the case may be, we would love to hear from you. Uh, that is an option that we will continue to promote here on the Get Home Safe podcast. We operate through the Anchor app, as you're well aware of. Uh, Anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like Apple and Spotify and many other platforms. Anchor has really been there for me every step of the way through this thing. Made things a lot easier, we should say. Uh, it's been a work in progress. I think with some of the new technical uh, things we're doing, uh, operating through uh, our laptop more than our phone, we're doing interviews through Zoom. I think it's made for a much more clean, clean up production. The sound quality is a lot better. I'm able to use uh, my favorite microphone that comes in nice and clear. And I think we're hearing from the guests a lot better as well. We have a full slate of guests already lined up this week, all recorded and ready to go, but we're always looking for more guests, more content. So if you have suggestions, 
please send them our way. We'd love to hear from you, as I mentioned, and we'd love to have uh, anybody on the come on the program if they're willing to uh, set aside an hour or so, give or take, and join us in a, a Zoom uh, video. We would love to do that and have you on board. We'll record that and put it out as an episode. So if you are interested, you know where to reach us. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks again, Chris Tipton, for getting things started this week. Just a blast catching up with you. Can't wait to talk with you real soon. Looking forward to Tom Bragger uh, on the program tomorrow. Another sports-filled interview, if you will, with Tom Bragger tomorrow. So be sure to join us. But guys, whatever you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you.